This morning, the reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of of each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, Until we all attain to the unity of the flesh and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together with every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. I couldn't help but think as we were singing that last verse of I'll fall at his throne and forever worship Christ of, of uh, just seeing Caroline and knowing that is what she's doing. I spoke with the family about that yesterday. Uh, this morning we uh, are in the second half, begin the second half of Ephesians. And when I teach Ephesians uh, at Montreat, uh, I say if you could divide Ephesians neatly into two Sections one through three would be what God has done, and four through six would be what God is doing, what God has done, and what He is doing. And so we look now at what God has done. We look back on that that God's second great creation is the church. It is his remarkable work that he has established, indeed, the church local, the church universal, and uh, what is he doing with us? That's what four through six gets at. Uh, Some of you are headed to college, and and, uh, I, I did a real nerdy thing. I know that comes as a surprise. But I did a real nerdy thing uh, the, the uh, summer before I went to college. You see, no one in my family before me had gone to college and so didn't know what to expect. Mom and dad didn't know quite how to prepare me. And, 
And I had a neighbor across the street who had gone, and uh, uh, Ruth Baker would tell me some things from time to time of what to expect. And so arrived in the mail, uh, as I recall, the, the Black Wofford College catalog uh, it was that official thing that's now online. I'm assuming at most schools, but it came in print then because the internet uh, was uh, not a thought. All right, so, or maybe it was a thought, but not invented. And so uh, it came, and I, not knowing what to do, read it uh, all. <laughs> I started at page one and thought that if they sent it, they intended me to read it, and so I read it from page one until the very end. I read every rule, everything that would happen if you did this or did that. I, I read about every major. I, I just read the thing. I remember coming across this interesting thing called the Senior Order of Gnomes, yeah, it's called the Senior Order of Gnomes, G-N-O, a gnome. And it said that in, at the end of your junior year, they would select people to be a gnome in the Senior Order of Gnomes. And when I read that, I didn't know what a gnome was. Uh, not lying to you, I did not. We were not allowed uh, in growing up to watch television, listen to music, dance, chew, or hang with those who do. And so, so that was kind of my growing up. So I had no clue what a gnome was, but it said that the former class of gnomes, the seniors, would select the new ones. And so I just jotted some notes in that thing of different things I wanted, and that was one. I don't know why. It just looked cool. Uh, I'd like to be a gnome, but there was nothing you could do to be one. Like, that was the thing. You were just chosen, and there was nothing you could do to be chosen. Uh, you, you didn't run for office. You, you just couldn't do it, right? So, at any rate, at the end of my junior year, I remember receiving a phone call, and the, this group of people said they wanted to sit down and meet with me, and so they did. And when they did, I discovered that they were the gnomes of the year before. And they said, we have decided to choose two gnomes out of the junior class to be senior gnomes this year. And it is you and A.K. Anderson, who's a professor at Wofford now. It's you and A.K. You are a gnome. And so I, I just came to share with you that I'm a gnome. Um, <laughs> You didn't know. I'm taller than most, but I am a, I'm a gnome. And so I was. AK and I were gnomes, and sure enough, at the end of our senior year, we sat down and went across the class and chose a few to be gnomes, and that has continued. It's been hundreds of years, or over 100 years that gnomes have been chosen. The interesting thing about that, and, and the reason I share it here other than I've opened myself to be picked upon uh, by a lot of people, is that what Paul talks about here is that there is something that happened to you that you had nothing to do with. That there was nothing you could do to cause it. You didn't candidate if you are in here this morning and you are a born-again follower of Jesus, 
then you did nothing to deserve that and nothing to earn that. That, that is all due to the grace of God. And so in light of that, he has put together the church and the, the, uh, the, the pronouns that we're going to deal with today are not so much singular as they are plural. We together, it, it, it necessitates us being together what Paul talks about. And so there's just two uh, uh, commands that Paul gives. And the first is, walk as one, though you are many. Walk as one, though you are many. Getting along isn't easy, amen? Oh, you guys are being holy Getting along isn't easy, amen? amen? It isn't. It's hard to get along with people. But here, Paul says, here's how to do it. And so if you're here this morning and you're struggling to get along with uh, uh, the people around you, with the people in your life, how do you go about doing that? Here we go. With all humility... Humility is the first in the list. C.S. Lewis would call this uh, 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 the, the, the most necessary. Humility is not thinking less of oneself, but thinking of oneself less often. Humility isn't worm theology. It isn't to debase yourself. Uh, debasing yourself, interestingly enough, is still thinking about yourself too much. Humility is thinking of others. Our third overarching value here at Grace is others before who? Ourselves. Others before ourselves. Humility is thinking less about ourselves. Gentleness. Gentleness is strength under control. Strength under control. James 3, talking about two kinds of wisdom, says there's a wisdom that comes from above that is first of all pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit. And then there's a wisdom from below that is earthly, natural, and demonic. There are two kinds of wisdom in the world. You will either traffic in earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom, or you will traffic in heavenly wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. Gentleness, while not in vogue in our culture, gentleness is not the acceptable MO today. No, we go after people. We're harsh with our words. Uh, the news is harsh. Uh, when athletes blunder, people rush to correct and criticize. Gentleness, patience. Patience is long-suffering towards aggravating people. That's what it means to be patient. All right, so in, in the interest of being real, does anyone in the room have anyone in your life who occasionally aggravates you? Raise your hand. All right, so for the rest of you, I'll preach next week online. Um, 
So, so uh, there, th- people just aggravate us. Long suffering implies aggravation. That's interesting. The word implies that there are some people and some situations that will stretch, test your patience. That's what it implies. Bearing with one another in love, mutual tolerance. Putting up with somebody else, mutual tolerance. These become the characteristics that when forged together, make the church vitally one. Look at verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager. That comes from the Greek word uh, speed. Rushing to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Sadly, many local churches rush to argue, rush to establish their uh, agenda, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Why? There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Since there is only one Spirit with the capital S, there is only one body, the church. That is the Spirit's primary role in the Godhead, is the church. So there is only one church. Yes, there are different expressions, different uh, denominations, but there is only one body of Christ. So, So what does this make of this congregation gathered here? Each congregation is a local expression of the heavenly church, not part of it. We're not simply part, as if we're members and Greenlee down the road is members. No, if you look at every single letter in the New Testament written to churches, it's written to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Corinth, to the church in Thessalonica. It wasn't to part of the church there. You say, what does it mean? It means that in God's remarkable way, he is able to make function in this place at 5182 U.S. 70 West. He is able to make function in this place church. And he is able to make function church in Africa. And he's able to do that in Ecuador where we go. And he is able to do that in India. He is able to do that anywhere and everywhere. And we are the church as they are the church, all part of the church with the big C. We aren't an accidental thought. This has been his plan we discovered last week all along. Number two, since there is only one Lord, there is only one hope, one faith, and one baptism. Why? Because Jesus is the object of our hope, faith, and baptism. 
So since there is one spirit, there is one church. Since there is one Lord, there is one baptism. And third, since there is only one Father, there is only one family. There's one spirit, there's one church, there's one Jesus, there's one baptism, there's one Father, there's one family. So that means when you come to God by faith in Christ, you, my friends, become a member of the family of God. And you have siblings you have never met all over the world. What a joy to meet brothers and sisters in Christ. It, it is such a joy. Cindy Webb told me that their doc stepped out to have a conversation with them over at the hospice house toward the end. And he said, I, I detect that you're believers. And they said, we are. He said, okay, changes everything. Now let's talk. Why? Because the family of God, that family of God Immediately, there's a connection. There is a work of the Spirit. It is why John in his letters uh, say this, if you don't long to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, check yourself, you may not be in the family. There's a desire to be with others in the family. The one Father creates the one family the one Lord Jesus creates the one faith, hope, and baptism, and the one spirit creates the one body. So says John Stott. Two, walk as many, though you are one. So walk as one, though you are many. And secondly, walk as many, though you are one. Does, the question, does the unity of the church negate its diversity. It does not. We're all different, aren't we? We all are different. And so though we are one, we have different makeups. Look at verse 8. All of a sudden, the one, right, one Lord, one faith, one baptism switches to individual. But grace was given to each one. All right, so, so we now take one with the big O and we say each one. Grace was given to each one, to you, to the members of the body, according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right, so Christ, informing the church, the body, gave gifts. And, and, and Paul then quotes Psalm 68. And Psalm 68, if Paul had never quoted it, it's hard to understand in Psalms. And now we got to go from Ephesians and see what Paul said and, and then try to, it's just hard. It's just work. What does Psalm 68 mean? And what now does it mean in light of Paul's context here? So there are multiple things. I won't just jump deep into it, but to say this, we have celebrated Jesus' crucifixion on Good Friday we celebrate his resurrection on Easter. But for some reason in, in the church, um, the free church we may call it as we are, we, we miss out on celebrating the ascension. And this says it matters. That, that we can glean that from this. That, uh, that we celebrate Jesus as dying. 
We celebrate Jesus as resurrecting. But according to Paul, here in Ephesians 4, if he did not ascend, we are in some trouble. Why? What happened when he ascended? Let's read it and see. Therefore it says, Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, into the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right, so I'm not going to jump deep into what it could be here, could be there. Great study. If I were sitting around the table with you, we'd jump into this, have some pretty vivid conversation on what does it mean ascended and descended in Psalm 68. What does it mean here? Scholars land in two or three different places. I have my view, and, and my view is this. When David became king in Jerusalem, for the first two years, he fought battles, and after those two years, David did something, and that was to make Jerusalem the capital city of Israel. It, it had not yet been. And when David did that, he moved the Ark of the Covenant there. And when he did, it was so significant that he got 30,000 soldiers to do it. 30,000 soldiers, imagine that. That's three-fourths of the population of our county. And so he got 30,000 soldiers, and they took the Ark of the Covenant, and they began to move it. And when they did, David overcome with the joy, not of two years of victories, of, 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 of winning wars, but of, of bringing the Ark into this city that was now on a hill, uh, bringing this Ark. He, he danced before the Lord. And when he danced before the Lord, his wife saw him and, and his, uh, his, his joy embarrassed her. He, he was overcome with joy. Why? The presence of God was now in their midst. Not over at Kirith Jerem where the ark had been kept. It was now there. Well, what happened eventually, Solomon built a grand temple, but before then, the tabernacle, the tent was there in Jerusalem, and people would come to worship. You go to Psalm 120, and those begin the Psalms of Ascent uh, that they would sing as they ascended the hill to worship God. So how does Jesus' ascension uh, the question you may ask is, how does their ascending the hill uh, prefigure Jesus' ultimate ascending? And what did Jesus do that they couldn't do? When Jesus ascended, he became, and I don't mean at all to demean his position. I just want uh, to, to get a word to you. Uh, some of you work in HR. Jesus became the HR of the church. He ascended high above all where he could see all and he said, okay, I've got work to do and my work is to fill the church with all she needs to be all I've called her to be. And he gave gifts. 
to us. He, he gave gifts, and he still does. That's why if you're sitting on the sideline, you have to be most frustrated if you truly belong to Christ. Because there's a gift in you bursting out. There's, there's a desire in you to serve that comes from none other than Jesus himself. He's staffing the church. He who descended is the one who ascended above all the heavens that he might feel all things. That word feel means to control by exercise of sovereignty. Now, what did and does he fill the church with? He gave apostles. The first are apostles and prophets. They're foundational to the church. They're varying views on this. I believe these first two were given for then and not now. That's where I land on this in my understanding in my theology. That, that, that apostles were needed. They were eyewitnesses. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, what was required to meet the criteria for an apostle, they're eyewitnesses. They're the first 12 minus Judas, add Matthias, add Paul, maybe James the brother. A couple more, those are the apostles. And prophets, foundational to the church. That very word means a person who stood in the council of God. I also believe those were for the beginning of the church and not for now. Not the gift of prophecy, but the office of it. The evangelist, the word means to preach the gospel. The shepherds, those who nurture and care for and the teachers. All pastors teach, but all teachers are not pastors. There's a difference. Shepherds are pastors. Some people teach, but they do not pastor. There's a difference. Why? To equip, to make someone adequate or sufficient for something. My job description as a pastor teacher is to equip you. That word comes from a, a Greek word meaning to mend the net. To equip you. In his work ministry, Best said this, the ministry of the officials does not find its fulfillment in their own existence, but only in the activity of preparing others to minister. My success, to use that dangerous word. My success is your capacity to minister. If I equip you, I'm successful. If I do not, I'm not. Plain and simple. That's my task, my job. That's the task of the pastors, the shepherds, the teachers, the life group leaders. It's the task of the elders. It is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But that's still not the goal. The goal isn't to equip you, and we're, we're passionate about that here. That's not the goal. Why do we do it? Until we all, look at verse 13, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Our equipping is for your maturity. That's it. We exist as staff and elders and life group leaders and tune in, moms and dads, 
Listen, you exist, you and I exist to equip your kids for the work of ministry. We exist to equip you for the work of ministry, not to keep you out of trouble. Listen to me, grads. You're just graduating. All right? So, so if you've gone to a graduation, been to my fair share of participating and watching, they, all call, they call every one of them commencements. What does the word commencement mean? To what? To start. It means you haven't arrived. You've just accomplished something that gets you to the next step. Our task, our task is to equip you to be Christian in college. That's our task. It, it is not easy. It is work. It is burdensome at times. But our task is not to get you through college, without, through high school, without being in major trouble. Neither is that your parents' task. It is to equip you to be Christian in college. That you may grow up to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A little digging around. I'm certainly not a scientist. Never, never really studied it much. But I discovered this week, and, and if I'm wrong, just correct me afterward, and I'll fix it for the next round. Uh, but if I'm right in my, in my study this week in this, our bodies produce daily 220, 240 billion cells. Daily. Based on my study this week, daily. Well, how does the body do that? The body does that when you intake food right? So this is why it should be good for you. Your body's doing some big work, right? So Big Macs don't make for good sales, all right? Chick-fil-A always does. Um, <laughs> need to say that, but Big Macs not so much, right? So, so, so your body's constantly working to produce sales, these, these sales. And what you put into your body helps that production, every single day. It means that death is when the body quits that. It's when the body quits, quits producing cells. It's when bad cells can take over and destroy good ones. It, it's, it's cellular biology. No, what I know about it is what I just shared. No lie. But when I think of the body and this metaphor of the body of Christ, so it is with the body of Christ. You are either growing or you're going back. There's no standing still. You're either growing toward maturity or you're sliding toward hell. There, there's no, oh, I'd like to straddle the fence on this. No. It, it's one or the other. You say sliding toward hell, going to hell, even if I've come to Christ. I'm not saying that. But any existence in sin apart from Christ is hellish. And so, so, so our task is to, is to equip you to maturity. The ultimate goal is that the church of Christ look and act like the person of Christ. That's the goal. Wow. 
What is the alternative? Look at verse 14. Children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The alternative is that we are tossed all over the place. The alternative is that you go away to college and you hear a professor say this and all of a sudden your mind is, you're gone. That's the alternative. The alternative is that some friends down the hall say, come to this party and you go. And once you go to the party, you find there are some things that you didn't do before. And now you find that they're rather appealing and attractive. And you do them. And your conscience slowly gets seared. To where, come Friday, if somebody doesn't call you, you think you're, you're, you're a no good for nothing, anything. There's no party to go to. Uh, the conscience that was once convicted by it now is so turned around that if it doesn't happen you're less than so how do we do this we speak the truth in love this is the antidote to every wind of doctrine truth and love will calm the waves of deceit there better be some truth tellers in our lives that's what life groups are for speaking the truth in love that's what happens that's what accountability is for, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. I'll leave that there. Paul says, verse 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him uh, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see the organic nature of growth of the body of Christ? We grow body. This is plural. When you speak truth to one another in love, the church just grows. That, that's what he says. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So I'll close with this. Years ago, um, gosh, maybe second trip to Senegal, Africa, I can't remember, uh, we went to a, uh, an amazing place. So in Senegal, the animals run free. They roam. Um, cows and goats and they eat everything, every bit of vegetation you can imagine, they devour. So that you just see vast deserts uh, and trees that have nothing on them uh, up to where the cow could eat. And then there's stuff everywhere uh, that is just chewed down to nothing. And so the Senegalese honestly believe that their land is cursed. That's their assumption. Uh, it is not connected that, oh, the animals that we're not putting a fence around may be eating the vegetation. No, our land is cursed. They really believe that. So there was a gentleman who decided he would, uh, he would try to counteract that. So what he did is he convinced some donors to give him enough money to build a fence, a massive fence, around a piece of property, desert barren nothingness and they did he calls it Beersheba built this fence we are driving out through the desert to see what has happened here 
And as we're driving through the desert, all of a sudden we look up and to our left, and in the sea of brown is an oasis of green. What happened? He built the fence, kept out the goats, kept out the, the cattle roaming, and things started to grow in the cursed land. We drove through the gate of Beersheba, and it's the first time I ever recall hearing birds sing in Senegal. Lush green is everywhere. They built buildings in there now in this large enclosed place and they bring pastors in and they teach them how to plant natural fences that go around their villages to keep animals where they belong and plants where they belong so that they can grow crops and feed themselves. It's a simple concept, but it works amazingly. Flowers everywhere. We toured and saw this pastor's garden, his fence, his plot, where he had learned to go back to his community and teach them that indeed the land is rather not cursed, but a gift from God, and uh, things can grow there. Why do I end with that? The church and the truth in love works just like that fence. It doesn't ignore an outside world. It, it says they're cows and goats and they'll eat you alive. But if you, I promise you, will build a fence around your life of truth and love. Truth Spoken in love, your life will be as lush as the birds singing in that oasis in the middle of the desert. There will be in your life, if you do that, joy and fruit. And there will be this growth that is remarkable. And so it is with the church. If we as a church body Say, okay, we're in. We're into truth and love. All of a sudden, according to Ephesians 4, it'll just grow. Kind of organic. Why? It's just made to do that. Eat the right food and the cells will produce. Speak truth and love and the body will grow. No gimmicks. No ridiculous goals. The body will grow. So what do you do next? Number one, if you've been coming to grace, but you've not come to starting point, that's level one accountability. Starting point is just level one. Joining the church. We're a covenant signing church. That means it means something to be a member here. Level two accountability. Join a life group. Let somebody speak truth to you. There needs to be a fence around your life from the goats that would devour the fruit, the plant. That's level two accountability. Level three, serve. Serve. Jump in somewhere and say, yeah, I want to be a part. Level four, go. 
Why do I say that? <laughs> I promise you, people will see your very best and your very worst on a mission trip. Oh, they will. When you lack the comforts of home, our sinful nature is just ugly sometimes. It, it just is. Like, people will see that. And when you go, that's level four accountability. That's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'll be stripped of kind of all this stuff, and we'll see how I fare then. So I'll close with this. Uh, we have a video from uh, just this weekend. We had a team come back from Warsaw. Let's, uh, let's play that, and we'll send you out. <laughs> 